to uh, work our way through the lectionary passages for, for the year, at least for the next four weeks we will be. Uh, so uh, this morning, I want to start us out in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, so that's where we're going to be first. Uh, but there's this passage in 1 Corinthians that's our, our lectionary, the passage, and I have to admit, I do not like it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I disagree with it. Uh, I actually wish it weren't in Scripture. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure it's all that biblical. Uh, so I want to talk about that. And then I want to talk about the incredible lesson that we can learn from it, from that passage. Uh, but first, uh, I want to I talk, for some of you it will be reminding you of history, and hopefully I don't get the history wrong. For some of you it might be a, a new idea to you. But I want, to, I want to talk about uh, what happened in Livingston, Montana in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, so, so, uh, so what happened is that there was a, a group, a cult, uh, if you want to call them that, uh, called the Church Universal and Triumphant. And in the late 80s, uh, their, their leader, uh, Elizabeth Clare Prophet, uh, moved them from the south uh, to just north of Yellowstone National Park on the highway uh, going past uh, Paradise Valley there. And, uh, and, and they planted, they, they bought land there, they, they put down roots there, and it's, it's their kind of home base even today. Uh, but what happened in the late 80s, kind of early 90s, is that Elizabeth Clare Prophet, their leader, made a prediction about the end of the world, that there was going to be a nuclear holocaust, that everyone, that they, they knew exactly when it was going to happen, the end of the world is essentially happening, and because they knew about it, they could be the only ones to spare themselves. And so what they did is they, uh, they needed to build all these bunkers, uh, fallout shelters, but they didn't have a whole lot of money, so they borrowed tons and tons and tons of money from different businesses in Livingston, uh, kind of with the idea that they're not going to need that money anyway because they'll all be dead. And so when the day comes and passes and then the world's not over and Jesus hasn't come again and everyone's still around, they can't pay their debts. And uh, we have friends who uh, were living in Livingston at that time and uh, talk about how it kind of ravaged the town for like a decade or so, that like people went bankrupt, people were struggling because of what this group had done, because of the, the predictions that they had made that, that wasn't right, that, that wasn't good. Uh, but, thank God that's just something that a cult would do, not something we would read about in Scripture. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to read about that in Scripture right now. Uh, so, First uh, Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, starting with verse 29. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, this is Paul. Uh, this is Paul writing. Uh, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who are married should live as if they were not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is passing away. Essentially, Paul is kind of making this prediction. And to be fair to Paul, he literally believed that Jesus was coming back any time now. 
like with for sure within his lifetime, but maybe within weeks or months or or not not more than a few years. So to be fair to Paul, he literally believed that the end was coming, along with all the early the other early Christians. He wasn't alone in thinking this. They all thought that this was the case. John thought that that was the case as well. That Jesus would be returning soon in their lifetime. So so what's the point of marriage? What's the point of possessions or anything worldly if the world is over in a few short years? Ditch your wives, live as if nothing matters uh, but, but Jesus. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of messed up. Uh, and and I, I give Paul a lot of credit. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give him some leeway because he didn't know. But I think that's kind of messed up. The same kind of thing that Elizabeth Clare Prophet was saying in the 80s in Livingston. The same thing that cult leaders and fundamentalist Christians have been pre- predicting for years. That Jesus is coming back soon. So this world doesn't really matter. Uh, So this is kind of a strange passage. Paul telling people to get rid of their spouses and possessions and anything of the world. Paul is speaking into his context. And I'm sure could have never imagined that over 2,000 years later, we'd still be sitting here awaiting the second coming of Christ. So I hope he'll forgive me for disagreeing with him uh, here but I do. I, I do kind of disagree with them. I, I, but as I mentioned earlier, I do think that there's something really significant for us to think about here in this passage. I think that there's a, a really interesting theme for us to explore, and that is the theme of urgency. I, I may not agree with the specifics of what Paul preached, And I understand that he was preaching that into a very specific context, and maybe it doesn't match up with us sitting here 2,000 years later. But the main point that he's trying to make in saying these words is a point about urgency. This is a passage about urgency. And so are our Old Testament and our gospel passages this morning. They are also about urgency. So uh, I've already started making my case that I think Paul's urgency here is dangerous and kind of the wrong sort of urgency. But urgency is not bad. Urgency is actually a a quite good thing. A a healthy sense of urgency is really actually kind of great and should be celebrated and striven for. So that's what I want to explore this morning. Uh, I want to explore the theme of urgency and the idea that, that healthy urgency is good, and that's what our Old Testament and Gospel passage passages demonstrate for us this morning. So let's let's turn there. Uh, let's make our way to the book of Jonah. Um. All right. So in Jonah chapter three, starting with verse one, this is what we read. Uh, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So he's already fought back against God. He's already been in the belly of the fish. He's already been spit out. And now God speaks to him again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim uh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. 
They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And skipping to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Uh, so, so let's picture the story. Jonah enters the city. Uh, and he travels about a third of the way across. Right? It's a three-day journey across. He travels for a day. So he's about a third of the way across. You know, he's getting close to half. He's almost at the city center. Uh, and he stops and he begins to proclaim this urgent ultimatum. Right? You've got 40 days before you're going to be destroyed. Things are, are really screwed up here. Uh, and you're about to see everything crumble around you. This, the end. This is the end. It's coming. Uh, which uh, Jonah doesn't even really offer them a way out of the mess. He just says, no, you're doomed. You've got 40 days and that's it. Uh, and if you read ahead to chapter 4, it seems like he absolutely thought that they were doomed. Because when they're not doomed, eventually... He's kind of ticked about it, and it's, that's a whole different sermon for, for another day. Uh, but he absolutely thought they were doomed no matter what. So he preaches this urgent ultimatum that you got, you got 40 days, and that's, and that's it for you. But the story is really interesting that the Ninevites, they actually hear Jonah's words as this urgent call to repentance, and oddly enough, they actually repent. They actually listen. It makes no real sense. This outsider, this foreigner, starts preaching to them in the city center, and suddenly they turn their life over, including the king, uh, including their leader. Uh, he does the same as well. They actually listen. They actually repent, and they actually do change their ways. Uh, they take this sense of urgency, and they turn it into faithfulness. And then in a weird stroke of uh, unpredictability, uh, God is so impressed with their changes that God actually changes. That God actually changes his mind uh, and, and allows them to live. It's, it's a really, really crazy story. But ultimately, it's a story about urgency. They were given this urgent message and they urgently responded. Uh, now, I want to take us to our gospel passage. Mark chapter 1. So this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, these are, if you're reading in a red letter Bible, these would be the first red letters. This is the first thing that Jesus says in the book of Mark. Uh, but really it's two stories of urgency all kind of wrapped up into, into one. So this is Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 14. So the first story. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So that the time has come. Uh, the kingdom of God is here. A new reality is bursting forth right into this one. So don't wait one more second. That This is it. This is your time. Repent. Turn away from the ways of the world and turn to the ways of God. It's a message. His first words are urgent in nature. Don't wait one more second 
uh, before you, you turn your life around and turn it to the ways of the kingdom of God. And, and then the, the story continues, uh, or the text continues with another urgent story. Uh, verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus says. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. It's a story of urgency. Jesus needs his disciples. He's ready to start his ministry. He goes out to find some of some followers. Uh, and there's, a most, there's most certainly a sense of urgency in these encounters. His call to them is sudden and urgent. He doesn't waste any time. He immediately says, follow me. Uh, there's, there's no chit-chat. They're not talking about the weather. They're not talking about how's the fishing been today. Uh, he doesn't waste any time. It's just follow me. And then their response is equally urgent. Their response is, is sudden and immediate as well. They immediately left. In fact, the second, the second encounter, they, they leave the father and the hired hands in the boat, which I'm assuming means they like jumped out and swam to shore to go with them. There's a sense of urgency in wanting to follow Jesus. Their response is most certainly urgent in nature. So, so again, The theme for us this morning is urgency, Uh, but these stories are clear. As you kind of think through the three passages, the stories are clear for us this morning that there are good forms of urgency uh, and there are negative forms uh, of urgency. So so the question is, uh, when is urgency problematic and unbiblical, and when is it healthy and spiritual? When is urgency good? When is urgency bad? Uh, Some of you may not know. Uh, I can't imagine why you didn't know uh, from looking at me. But I grew up playing sports. And uh, and one of the sports I... I played most was basketball. I, I was kind of a gym rat. I, I played basketball uh, all through uh, high school. Uh, love it. Loved playing basketball. And uh, I'm still not tall to this day, but I was even shorter at the time. Uh, kind of scrawny in nature. So I played point guard uh, all, all the time. So the point guard on the floor, uh, they're, in, they're kind of in charge. Right? They're the floor general. They're kind of the captain of the team. They, they bring the ball up the floor. They get the plays moving. Uh, they're, they're kind of the, the coach on the floor. Right? They're, they're in charge. And so I was kind of learning and growing, uh, learning in leadership, even as, a, as I was learning this position in basketball. But I remember hearing this quote one time from the late John Wooden, who, uh, who was the coach at UCLA for years and years, uh, perhaps the best college basketball coach in history, uh, fantastic coach, fantastic leader. But I remember hearing this quote from John Wooden one time, and I, I took it to heart uh, as, as a basketball player, but I, I was thinking about this quote as I was preparing my sermon this week, uh, and I remember him saying, uh, to be quick, but not hurry. Uh, be quick, and he would tell his point guards that. He would tell his players that. You need to be quick, but not hurry. 
And as a basketball player, as, and as a point guard especially, I wanted to play quickly and aggressively. I always wanted to be putting the pressure on the defense, always pushing the tempo, never being lulled into slow, predictable style of play. I wanted to make quick passes and quick decisions. Everything needed to be quick on the floor. And yet there were times where I was pushing, pushing, pushing so far, so fast that I'd make mistakes. And I'd get careless and chaotic in my, in my pace of play, and I'd make mistakes. I would take bad shots, I'd make bad passes, I would make turnovers as I played. And so it was this constant kind of battle between how do I play fast, play smart, uh, play, play quick, uh, make, decis- you know, my, make, make my passes decisive, and yet not so fast that I was careless not being in such a hurry that I was making mistakes. And I found myself thinking about that uh, when it came to the, the theme of urgency as well. I think our faith lives are that way as well. We must balance a sense of, we must be balanced in our sense of urgency. Yes, God is here. God is doing an exciting new thing and there should be a sense of urgency about what God is doing and how we can plug into that. Uh, we shouldn't be waiting. We should be pressing forward into what God's doing in our world and what God's doing in our church and how can I be helpful and there should be a sense of urgency uh, about that. We shouldn't be lulled into doing nothing, into thinking there's always another time for ministry or witness or evangelism or mission. I can wait. I can put that off for another time. There needs to be a sense of urgency. We shouldn't be waiting around for another day or another time or another season. But you can't rush ministry, conversion, salvation, relationship community. So we need to find a way to balance that. You can't, you can't rush things either. There has to be an urgency balanced with patience. You can't rush God's timing for your life. You can't rush a healthy life. You can't rush a better marriage. You can't rush that next promotion. You can't rush your way into your career. Uh, you can't rush your way to church growth. Uh, So there's always urgency. We're always pressing forward. God is doing a brand new thing. The kingdom of God is here. We should be pushing forward with enthusiasm and urgency. And yet we could get moving so quickly and so fast that we're kind of missing the boat and we're getting off track. You can't rush it. There has to be patience. We're still called to a healthy sense of urgency because the kingdom of God is at hand but we must find a balance. We must learn to be quick, but not hurry when it comes to our faith. So a few thoughts for us as we begin to move toward the end here. Uh, we need to ask, what, what does an unhealthy sense of urgency look like? And what does a healthy sense of urgency look like? And how would we even go about knowing the difference between the two? So a couple thoughts for us, and then some questions to ponder. I would say that unhealthy urgency, when we're not getting it right, when we're pushing forward too fast in a way that's not godly, that's not biblical, that's not right, is almost always about us. I would say that unhealthy urgency is almost always about me, about you, about us getting what we want. It's about, uh, it's about getting more. 
It's about making more. It's about being more. It's about being someone else other than who God wanted us to be. It's about climbing corporate ladders. Uh, it, it usually involves acting at the expense of others instead of acting on behalf of others. It, it's often, it often involves never being content with where we are or who we are. Uh, it almost always is about us being happy and fulfilled and not about uh, all of us being happy and fulfilled. It's about me, not about the collective us. Uh, so an unhealthy urgency is almost always selfish in nature, and it robs us and others of the life that God wants for us. Now, on the other hand, a, a healthy sense of urgency, getting this thing right where we're pushing forward with, with a balanced sense of, of patience and yet moving quickly, uh, I think it finds a balance between the long, slow, consistent nature of the spiritual life and the temptation to always put things off for another day and another time. We're called to live slowly uh, at times and to be meditative and reflective in, in our nature, and yet too often I think that leads us to doing nothing. I'll just think about it. I'll, yeah, I'll keep praying about that. I need, to, I need to do some more thinking about whether I'm ready for that, that next uh, level of commitment. And too often we end up doing nothing. Healthy urgency is about taking the goodness and blessing of ourselves and our community by the horns. Taking the bull by the horns and not waiting one more day to do what we love, to bless the people around us, and to see the kingdom of God come to this earth. Uh, it, so it's other-centered, and yet it's still active. Uh, it's not passive, and it's not me-centered. It's other-centered, and it's active. We're pushing forward into what God is doing for all of us so that we can see the blessing and fulfillment of all the people around us, so we can see the kingdom of God come to fruition in all of its fullness. So a few questions for us to ponder. Uh, few questions. What sorts of unhealthy urgency do you have in your life? As you think about your life, your career path, what you're doing with your job, what you're doing with your family, what sorts of unhealthy urgency do you have in your life? How have you focused too much on yourself? How have you found yourself trying to really make it, to be someone, to have more, to make more, to accomplish more? How have you been rushing through life and never actually living it? Uh, and then conversely, how, how can you have a healthier sense of urgency in your life? How can we start to do this thing right? What's that thing that you've been wanting to do that just keeps getting neglected? I have this passion I know, I know that this is for me. I know that, that this would be fulfilling and would be helpful for others and would be a blessing to the world. And yet I just keep putting it off because it's too hard or it would cost too much or it means going back to school. I, I don't know what it is. But what's that thing that you've been wanting to do? Feeling God nagging, pushing, prodding you to do and it just keeps getting neglected. What's, what's that relationship that needs work but you just keep ignoring the problem? Matt, 
I know we got to go to couples counseling. I, I know I need to make amends with that person from my past. I know I need to have that, that hard conversation with that person at work. I, I, know, I know that relationship isn't as good as it should be, but it's just easier to ignore it. Uh, can we have a sense of urgency about making things right, about fixing things that are broken? Uh, what's that habit that you've been needing to kick? Uh, I'm so sick of doing that thing. I hate the fact that I keep succumbing to that. I hate the fact that, that I keep doing that thing that I don't want to do, and yet I never make any real practical uh, steps to actually get rid of that unhealthy pattern in my life. Maybe there can be some urgency around that. What, what are you passionate about but doing nothing about? I, I hate it when I hear people tell stories or, or tell me the things that they're passionate about life uh, about in life and then I ask them a simple question like, when's the last time you did that? And it's like, oh, it's been years. Life just got too busy. Or let, uh, what's that thing that you're passionate about that you never do? Maybe it's time to, for a sense of urgency uh, about igniting your passion, fueling your passion, fulfilling your passions. What's that group that you've thought about volunteering with but just never seem to make happen? What's that spiritual practice that you know you need to do more often but you just aren't making the time? Who's that friend that you've been meaning to invite to church or to dinner or to talk to about who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life, and yet that just keeps getting pushed to the back burner? We just keep talking about sports or fashion or the news or politics, and we never get around to actually having uh, those hard conversations, those, those good conversations. Scripture reminds us this morning that the time is now that there's no sense in waiting anymore. The kingdom of God is here. It is at hand. God is doing a brand new thing, initiating a brand new reality, and it is time for us to jump on board. So I want to spend just a couple minutes in reflection, kind of personal reflection. not going to ask you to share with with anyone, but just a chance to think, to journal, to process uh, things like what is God speaking to you right now? How is God giving you a swift kick in the rear end to get you going in the, in, a right, in the right direction? How would your life change if you actually lived as if, as if the kingdom of God were at hand and, were, and God were doing a new thing right now? What, what would a healthier sense of urgency really look like for you? So let's take just a couple minutes. It won't be long. A couple minutes to just kind of process this, and then I'll close just with a couple more thoughts. So as we've briefly explored this morning, there are ways to do urgency wrongly. Uh, it can be fear-based, where we feel like we've got to move quick and do something fast because we're afraid or because 
Uh, we've been fed some sort of theology that we got to get ourselves right because you never know when Jesus is coming back. And it can be kind of for the wrong reasons. It can be fear-based. It, uh, our, our wrong sense of urgency can be shame-based. Uh, we feel guilty. We feel ashamed. And so I just want to keep working harder because I'm ashamed that I don't make enough money or I, do, I haven't gotten enough promotions. Uh, and so I'm not happy with who I am. I'm not content with what I look like or how much money I make. Uh, and I feel that sort of shame. And so I'm just going to work myself to the bone in, in order to try to fulfill that, uh, that lack in me. It can be selfish in nature, or, or it can be just because that's what our culture does. We work hard. We pride ourselves on saying things like, well, how are you doing? Ah, keep them busy. As if that's a badge of honor or something. As if the, a wrong sort of urgency is some sort of prideful moment for us. Uh, we live frantically just for the sake of being busy. And so maybe that's the reason why you succumb to kind of a wrong uh, sort of urgency. But our scriptures this morning really do invite us into a healthy sense of urgency. We're, we're invited to move quickly, to not wait another day, to finally do the work that God has been calling us to do, to not wait one more second, to finally take hold of the full, abundant life that God wants us to live here, now, on this earth. God has shown up. The kingdom of God is here. So let's stop waiting for another day, for a better time, for a less crazy season of life. Now is the time to do that thing that God has placed on your heart. Now is the time to reclaim your life and start living the abundant life God has for you. We have to balance our urgency well. We have to learn to be quick and not hurry But now is the time. Let's pray. God, we thank you that when we cry out to you, you act quickly and swiftly, that you are an urgent God that is up to a brand new thing in our community. Uh, And we pray that we would take that seriously, that we would act with patience, that we would act with sensibility and reason, and yet that we wouldn't uh, fail to act, That, that we wouldn't stand idly by while your kingdom is moving on past us uh, and we're too afraid to act. We're too ignorant to act. We're not aware of the thing that you are doing. Help us to say yes to the passions that you have put within us. Help us to be courageous in, in saying yes urgently to the brand new thing that you want us to do. Help us to say yes to the urgency that you've put within us to share your gospel message with people that badly need some good news in their life. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, A couple of announcements I want to mention on the back of your bulletin.